We have had a chance to check the tape, and we are exploring what we found in Miami's offensive performance against Kansas City and what contributed to such a slow start for the Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. It's your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked On Dolphins, co-host of Locked On NFL Scouting. You can find our shows on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Tip of the cap to our everydayers, because we don't just say we live it. It is your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Today's episode of Locked on Dolphins is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 in bonus bets. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started today on the show. Had a chance to dive into the offensive and defensive tape, but we're discussing the offense on today's episode of Locked on Dolphins and their performance against the Chiefs. And Miami finished this game 14 points offensively, uh, 292 total yards of offense, 175 total yards or net yards, passing the football, 117 rushing yards. Offensively, this was the lowest scoring output of the season, 14 points. Now you faced a very, very, very good defense, and that fact should not be overlooked. But when we did the post game, we were hot because you reflected on the opportunities throughout this game and the plays that weren't made. And then you go back and you watch the actual tape, and it's it's just as bad as you remember. There were missed opportunities early. There were missed opportunities late. There were some things schematically and physical matchup-wise uh, that didn't necessarily hit in your favor. And we're going to talk about all of that here as we get ready to turn the page. We'll get into some bi-week content. The Dolphins are off in Week 10 uh, before they are back at home to play the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, so... To put a bow on the Kansas City game, drop Miami to 6-3 and three on the season, uh, the continued narrative of the Dolphins and their performance against good teams versus bad teams and so on and so forth, I frankly could care less. You win enough games to get into the dance, and then at that point, you try to play your best football late, let the chips fall where they may. Dolphins are on pace to do that, so I'm not going to bemoan that point to any degree, but we will talk about this performance and, and point to the running game which had 117 yards of offense, which was about the same amount of yards as the Dolphins had managed to scratch out against the Eagles and Patriots combined. So where did you find life? What went well? What didn't go well? Now, this Dolphins offense, a lot, has, a lot of success has been had based on the success of the wide receivers and their ability to block on the edge against opposing defensive players. And I think that was a mismatch in favor of the Chiefs in this matchup, where the Chiefs, we talked about the head, heavy-handed, big-bodied edge defenders, big physical players, and Miami's wide receivers felt like they really struggled to secure wins on the perimeter. And uh, I do think you look to the offensive line, we'll talk a little bit more about them later, but their ability to secure consistently across the entire front uh, and get leverage on these outside runs that Miami wants to hit, just it just wasn't quite there. Now, I do think you had some success. I think the Dolphins made some good adjustments. Obviously, they had the two chunk gains uh, late on the final possession. They gave you a lot of yards. It gave you a big boost to put you up over 100 yards for the day. Um, 
but what I thought the interesting adjustment was there, and I think this will be something I'm, I'm really intrigued by, uh, because I do think if the Dolphins are, are going to have the success that they're capable of having running the ball long term, and they're going to do it without Isaiah Wynn, and they have to do it with backup interior players, uh, I do think you have to change your landmarks a little bit. The two runs that the Dolphins had on the final possession against the Chiefs, they were outside runs, but they were runs that folded inside. This was not, I'm going to try to get the edge. Everybody's going to get leverage. I'm going to get out on the perimeter, and then I'm going to stick my foot in the ground and go north, and I'm going to have a lead blocker, either a tight end or a fullback, who's kicking out in the corner, and now I'm one-on-one in the safety. These runs were, if you watch it back, I'm going to hit it behind the center. So we're still going to get that horizontal wash, but instead of pressing to the edge, my landmark's now the interior defensive lineman. And if he's upfield at all, I'm going to bang this thing north right away. And now all of a sudden, the landmarks aren't as extreme. The guards are able to get up on the linebackers. And Lester Cotton on the first run almost secured the block on Drew Tranquil, which I think could have sprung that first Raheem Mostert run even bigger than the one that it went for. So I think that's an interesting adjustment for Miami was I think they went a little heavier. I think they were willing to get a little bit more downhill into the game in the second half. I think they were, were pretty content to or, or resided to getting outside with their runs, which I think is smart when Chris Jones is, is in there. But as the game settled in, I thought they tried to get a little bit more north and south. You had really good fits by Alec Ingold. I thought he played a really good game. I thought Durham Smythe played a, a very admirable game uh, from a blocking perspective. I thought those two guys stood out more to me than the wide receivers, which is usually the catalyst of a lot of the explosive runs. So that, for me, was a big observation when I watched this game tape. And I liked seeing late. We made the adjustment, and my landmarks to run the ball shifted from the end man on line of scrimmage, and it looked like I was reading the interior defensive lineman to say, hey, look, I I'm going to have backside A if the center is washing hard and my backside guard is left uncovered, he can get up on the linebacker and I'm going to cut it off my center's butt instead of trying to cut it and get a carve it around the edge of my tight end slash offensive tackle and get all the way to the outside. For the limitations athletically that some of these offensive linemen have that are your backup offensive linemen with Lester Cotton and Rob Jones, and obviously Rob Jones went out with the hyperextended knee and we're waiting to see how bad that is. Um, that was promising because it showed same concept adjustment to maximize the personnel that you had at your disposal. So I'll be very, very interested to see against the Raiders. Uh, now they don't quite have size. If you look down the line, I think the Jets are a team with their speed at linebacker that it might behoove you to be able to get north on a little bit more. And they also have an interior disruptive player like Quinn Williams. Um, uh, the Commanders are a little bit softer on the edge now after trading Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are a team that is pretty stout on the edge with Danico Autry, Harold Landry. There's some names there. The Cowboys with Micah Parsons, the Ravens. There are some teams up here uh, throughout the back half of this schedule that Miami would really benefit from having the outside run flow, but it's going to design to hit more inside and, and really get you north quicker as compared to getting out on the perimeter. Plus, you get Devon HM back, so we'll see what that looks like. But that for me was the running game was I thought the wide receivers were outmatched on the edge a little bit. And then Miami, when they found success in the second half, their landmarks changed a little bit. They got a little bit more vertical, a little bit more quickly. So it was a good adjustment, uh, but not. Obviously enough for the Dolphins to pull out a win uh, in week nine against Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to talk about the passing game next 
here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. Stick with us. Today's episode of Locked on Dolphins is brought to you by Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports done right. It is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, and they're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because it's you against the numbers, not you against thousands of other people. It's you against the house. You pick more or less on two to six player stat projections, and you can watch your winnings roll in. And if you hit your stat projections right, you can win up to 25 times your money with one pick on prize picks. Selections can be made in 60 seconds or less from your phone with a two a few taps on your phone. So it's super easy and convenient. They've added Apple pay to make sure that you can always stay in the game and always have something to root for on game day. You can go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for first deposit match of up to $100. That is prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. As far as the passing game, um, there was a little bit to go around. I did not think Tyreek Hill played particularly well in his first game against his former team. Tua Tungvaloa had a corner route to Tyreek that was an absolute rope uh, that hit Tyreek's outstretched hands with leverage to a properly read a flat-footed safety. And he put it out there, and it hit Tyreek Hill in both hands. And it would have been a tough catch, but if you're a $30 million year player, and I know I said this on the postgame immediately after the game, you have to make that catch. Tyreek Hill has another throw on a glance, a bang eight, whatever you want to call it, that is marginally behind him. Tyreek elevates, gets two hands on the football, and does not catch it for a chunk game. In a game in which you lived behind the sticks and you had perpetual negative runs uh, from Savan Ahmed, you had procedural issues, you had a few sacks that were taken uh, thanks to well-timed blitzes and good defense. You have to make the plays that are on the field to be made if you're going to beat a team like Kansas City. The Dolphins didn't. They just didn't. And... Uh, some of it also extends to Tua Tungvaloa beyond just the end-of-game sequence with whatever the miscommunication was with Cedric Wilson on third down that I don't know that we'll ever know the full truth on. And then fourth down, and can we please stop talking about whether it's Connor Williams' fault or Tua Tungvaloa's fault? They, they both contributed because the snap was not on the midline, and Tua, the ball hit him in both hands. And I understand you got to go fast because it's a pressure situation, and the Chiefs had everybody walked up. They, they, they zero bliss you at the end of the game. So you got to go fast. It doesn't matter at this point. It wasn't executed. You lost the game. It's no, and I see it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday morning, and my timeline is still, you know what in the wind about whether it was Connor Williams' fault for where the snap was put or whether it was to his fault because he dropped it. It can be both, and it was both. But I don't want to sit here and bemoan the end-of-game sequence for this entire segment, because I have a lot of other thoughts about the execution. Uh, Tua put a throw uh, to Cedric Wilson early in this game where he tried to bluff and create a larger throwing window, and he kind of bluffed the flat, and he looked to put it up to Cedric Wilson, who was running kind of that that seam or skinny post or glance. And because Tua tried to bluff, and then he tried to reset and throw, he didn't get his base necessarily all the way back around and reset. The timing was a little fast 
and he left it too far up the field and led Cedric Wilson into a big hit from the safety. I thought from a passing game perspective, Miami's skill players left some meat on the bone. Tua left some meat on the bone. It was an all-around. There were more plays to be made than what were made. Uh, I thought the second down on the end of game sequence, there was an opportunity potentially uh, get quickly to Savan Ahmed in the slot to the left-hand side. They tried to throw that to Jalen Waddle through contact. Uh, Drew Tranquil was the linebacker who was in, in man coverage on Savan Ahmed, and he, and he had naturally given up a lot of leverage. It was an outbreaking route right to the sticks where Tranquil was going to have to go through both the receiver and the defender that were running the post that he tried to throw. Ahmed was already out of it. Did we pass over that because uh, Savan had had some, some minus reps early in the game? I don't know. Is it, was it just the, the first read and we kind of got a picture that had a window for us to throw the ball? I don't know. But uh, ESPN NFL Countdown had a segment on uh, Monday night that I wanted to commit a little time to, and it was, was Scott Van Pelt with Ryan Clark, Robert Griffin III, and um, Marcus Spears. And they talked about Tua Tungvaloa, and there were some fair points that were made. And look, I pride myself on being big picture objective, being able to talk about all different angles, right? And I'm not a Tua apologist. I'm not a Tua homer. I root for Tua Tungvaloa. He's the quarterback of this team. He's very easy to root for. He's been an awesome story. And I think he's a quarterback that you can win with. If you, respectively, you, whoever's listening or watching this show, if you want to have the conversation about whether or not Tua Tungvaloa is a $50 million a year quarterback and the Dolphins should pay him that, fair. You can have the conversation. I'd listen to both sides of that argument. If you want to ask what the physical ceiling is of Tua Tungvaloa relative to some of the other high-ceiling quarterbacks in the NFL who are playing at a high level, and what they can do outside of structure. I don't know that that's ever going to be a true asset of Tua's game. I think he has shown significant growth in that area of his game, particularly this year. You can have that conversation about that debate, and those were among the things that NFL Countdown talked about. But Marcus Spears asked a question that really bothered me, and Tua's a big boy. Tua doesn't need me to stand up for him, and I know when we had uh, the crossover with Locked On Eagles, the Locked On Eagles guys, the day before the, the crossover and – uh, after I recorded this clip had come out where they talked about Tua and a bunch of Dolphins fans were mad that I didn't defend Tua to the Lockdown Eagles guys. Tua doesn't need me to defend him. He's a big boy, right? But this question from Marcus Spears re really bothered me because RG3 said the Dolphins are a good team. We know they're a good team. But if they're going to be a great team, they have to win one of these games, which is totally fair. And Tua Tungvaloa in that moment is going to have to elevate his play and make the plays that were on the field to be made. Also totally fair. I can't help but wonder what the storyline would be if the Dolphins played the Chiefs in week one and then the Dolphins played the Chargers last week and the exact same outcome of each respective game was exactly the same and the Dolphins won 36-34 and Tua took the two-minute drive down the field and hit the third and 10 down the field on the big shot to Tyree Kill outside of structure and then had the touchdown pass in the red zone in the final two minutes. What would the narrative be? I don't know. I can't help but wonder. But you want to have the conversation because it's recency bias and all that? Fine. Fine. 
Marcus Spears asked, and he said, I'm not talking about anybody's manhood or anything, but uh, is Tua Tungalo afraid in the pocket? And I just think that is such a BS question to ask. Because I hope ESPN has a segment asking if Justin Herbert is scared in the pocket based on his play against the New York Jets pass rush last night. And this is not a Justin Herbert versus Tua thing. It's not a Joe Burrow versus Tua thing. It's, it's none of that. This entire offseason was spent talking about Tua Tagovailoa needs to play a judicious style of football to protect himself in the pocket, mitigate the hits that he takes, and prolong his career to protect himself from injuries. So if Tua Tagovailoa is under pressure with a free runner off the edge, and somebody coming in his face that uncovers against our, our interior offensive lineman, and he goes down and concedes the play, or if he gets outside the pocket and he can tell very quickly, I'm not going to get the angle. I'm just going to go down and live to fight another down. Isn't that what we've asked for this entire time? You could give me no net positive plays from Tua outside of structure if you told me that he wouldn't take hits on those plays and we would live to fight another down because of the supporting cast and the offense that you played. You're always going to have a chance to convert. Case in point, the conversion that they had on a third and forever against the Patriots just last week. But you heat up any quarterback in the pocket and they're not going to play to the same degree of efficiency. And, and Tua was what? He was 30... Four attempts, and he had 21 completions, so 62% completion for 193 yards, 5.7 yards per attempt, lowest yardage of the season. Didn't turn the ball over. Had a couple of plays where he did get to outside of structure, where he spins away from a pass rusher and spins him out and, and finds a completion. Yeah, in the end of game sequence, we have the, the late attempted check down to the far side of the field to Raheem Ostert on a ball that dies. You had earlier in the game a busted play where we try to throw it back in the same style and the ball didn't get to the line of scrimmage and we called it intentional grounding even though it really wasn't intentional grounding. So I don't know why they called it because there was clear intent to get the ball to that player, but he was under duress. And if you want to look at that play and say, yeah, you know, the arm strength's not there, that's whatever. But to ask if Tua Tungvalu is afraid, I think is just such a BS question to ask when the entire Issue with Tua before this season was he tries to make too many plays happen and subjects himself to big hits. And now he's doing the opposite of that, and he's protecting himself and putting the needs of the team in front of his own desire to make a big play. And he plays and he holds the ball longer than two and a half seconds, but for the longest volume of play of any team that the Dolphins have faced this season, and he faces more pressure than he's faced all season long. And he makes some, some modest things happen. He doesn't hit any home runs outside of structure. And if the play is dead, the play is dead, and he concedes the play. And to walk away from that and ask if he's afraid, when everybody spent all offseason talking about how this guy has to protect himself and not get hit, like, I, I don't know what you want. And the, it, the segment really bothered me, and I thought there were some, some noble and reasonable talking points littered throughout it, but the middle of it really bothered me. Because you, you wouldn't apply that to any other player. Nobody's asking if Brock Purdy's scared in the pocket when he's crumbling the last three weeks. Nobody's asking if Justin Herbert is scared in the pocket when he throws for 90-something yards or whatever it was against the Jets last night. 
You won't hear that segment. So why is it applied to this player? And again, you, you don't have to be the world's most avid or staunch Tua Tagovailoa supporter to you know, have an objective conversation about Herbert was 16 of 30 against the Jets for 136 yards. He was sacked five times. He was sacked five times. He completed 56% of his passes against the Chiefs and turned the ball over twice. I didn't see, I didn't catch that segment on ESPN. So that, that I think was the thing that Tua Tungvalu, when he first came into the league, had the furthest development that needed to happen and take place. And it's happening. But when your first two years are awash, your development is not to the degree in which you, you would necessarily hope that it would, but he's in year two of a system. He's finding more answers. He is finding more escape routes outside of the pocket. He's making more happen than he's made in the past. Like, I don't, it wasn't a perfect game, but I don't, I don't know what you want. Let's talk about the offensive line here next on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. Stick with us. Score early this season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use. And there's a wide range of betting options, including the money line, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash on to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So let's talk about the offensive line now that I got that off my chest. Um, it was good to see Toronto Armstead back. It's good to see Connor Williams back. I do think that aided significantly in some of the successes of Miami uh, hitting some of these big runs. If I were the Dolphins, the question that I would be asking myself is, what is my solution at left guard? Because we are expecting to see Robert Hunt back sooner rather than later. Lester Cotton did not play well against the Chiefs. And I know the team seemingly really likes him, and I know the team seemingly has him pegged as the next in line as your guard-specific type of player. And we understand that Rob Jones has some kind of knee injury based off a very scary-looking play uh, on film in which his knee was hyperextended, and we're trying to figure out the full extent of, of what is going on there. I, I get it. So your options here are limited unless you are going to look at Liam Eikenberg and extend him to play guard. Or if you're going to do the thing with Connor Williams that everybody has has kind of been speculating on and pointing to as a potential adjustment to make and put Connor Williams at guard. I don't think, and, and I, I understand what pro football focus graded Lester Cotton as, had him as the third best player on the team of any performer against the Chiefs. I didn't see it. I'll be honest. I, I didn't see it at all. I saw a player that was late. I saw a player that was labored. I saw a player that did not have success in short areas or long-hitting landmarks. I saw a player who struggled with passing off stunts and exchanges. And because the athleticism questions are there, you're getting players uncovered into interior gaps and stressing the integrity of the pocket. And if this is your solution at left guard, then you, you either have to be really banking on Teron Armstead uh, slash Kendall Lamb if Teron Armstead were to miss any additional time uh, to, to bridge the gap and make it right for him, which is a big ask for either player. Or you're going to ask your quarterback and your running game to, to have to live with that. And I, I would just 
struggle to look at the combination of groups that Miami has their disposal on. I don't think Kendall Lamb's a very realistic option to go in at left guard here. I don't know how Lester Cotton's in your best combo of five. I'm going to be honest. It's just a matter of, and for the Dolphins, is the versatility at center enough to offset the protection issues at guard? Potentially. That, you know, that's the conversation that this team is going to have to ask. But I thought both guards, again, really struggled with the sequencing and the execution and the leverage that allowed this running game to be as robust and dynamic as it was. And again, the Dolphins made some adjustments and they turned this into a little bit more vertical run game as the game went on. And I think you, you saw the team pay dividends. And that extends beyond just the last drive with the two runs by Raheem Mostert. You had some really good between the tackle runs. But that, for me, for the offensive line, was awesome seeing Tron Armstead back. He looked generally like Tron Armstead. I know people look to the Savan Ahmed screen on third and long uh, that did not pop. And quite frankly, it was a block on Drew Tranquilay from scoring a touchdown. Savan Ahmed would be halfway across the Atlantic, still running right now on his way back to Miami if they picked up Drew Tranquil, and he would not be touched. Like, that was a touch. It was a touchdown. But I, I think some of that was Rob Jones at left guard getting too vertical, chasing nobody there because the linebacker is down in the hole at the line of scrimmage. And Teron Armstead steps out and he peels straight down the line. And Rob Jones floats vertically and then tries to peel back. And because he got displacement and got off of Teron's hip and his relationship to Teron Armstead was discreet, was was stretched. Now you have a void for an athletic linebacker to get between those two players and make the tackle on Savan Ahmed and prevent it, it would have been a touchdown. The only two defenders on that two-thirds of the field ran into each other. It's a bummer. It's a bummer of a miss. Um, but for, for Miami and their offensive line, if you told me that you have Tron Armstead back and he plays the back half of the season, and even Ken, like Kendall Lamb, like Kendall Lamb will will give him his flowers when we do some bi-week stuff at the midway point of the season. One of the unheralded heroes of the first half of this Dolphin season, because if you told anybody in August that Teron Armstead was going to play in three games in the first nine, you'd have said, oh my goodness, two, two, two would be on IR. They'd give up so many sacks. They'd have all these issues. And Kendall Lamb has stepped in and performed beautifully as admirable of a performance as you could possibly ask for for a ninth-year veteran swing tackle. And you love that insurance policy. But if you told me Teron Armstead plays the back half of the season, and you told me Connor Williams doesn't miss any more time, and if you're able to keep Austin Jackson on the field continuing his career here, and if Robert Hunt bounces back from the hamstring issue and has no relapses, this group's going to be fine. They're going to have success running the football. Because the schedule, everybody talks about the back half strength of schedule for Miami, and this is kind of um, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but it's where I'll leave us. The next five games are all winnable games against the four and five Raiders, the four and four Jets, the four and five Commanders, the three and five Titans, and the four and four Jets. That's the next five games. Win them. Go win them. And, and there's going to be opportunities for you guys to have success against all of those teams offensively, including a Jets team uh, that is capable of flying around, but gave up 200 rushing yards to the Giants, 
gave up 139 rushing yards to the Broncos, gave up 200 rushing yards to the Chiefs, gave up 157 rushing yards to the New England Patriots, gave up 134 rushing yards to the Dallas Cowboys. Got to get your guys together. And you got to get the gang ready and you got to make the adjustments. But getting the, that core of starters back after kind of the lull in week eight against New England is a great start. We'll talk about the defensive side of the performance. Then we will get into some bye week stuff here in the coming shows here on Locked on Dolphins. Appreciate you guys checking out the show. Fins up. Make it a great rest of your day. I'm out of here. Peace.